hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, Dan Erdman with Farm Rescue and North Dakota farmer Larry Lyre join us to talk more about the outstanding work being done by Farm Rescue, and we preview the December 9th benefit concert featuring Dustin Lynch, Maddie and Tay, and more. And with many kids across the country engaged in virtual learning and spending more time around the farm these days, Scott Heiberger with the National Farm Medicine Center joins us to talk about keeping those kiddos safe during daily farming operations. The Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax, brings us another installment of Bushels and Scents, and we hear the music of one of traditional country music's brightest new stars, Rye Davis. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, on episode 79, we highlighted the great work being done by the nonprofit organization Farm Rescue and told you about a benefit concert presented by John Deere that will be held Wednesday, December 9th to raise money for Farm Rescue. This week, we wanted to come back with a reminder about the concert, but also to talk more about the lifeline that Farm Rescue has provided to more than 700 farm families over the past 15 years. Here today is Dan Erdman, the program manager for Farm Rescue, and Larry Lyre, whose family twice was the beneficiary of Farm Rescue's outreach. And gentlemen, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks for having us, Brent. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, I'd say, well, we created this series of shows to highlight the work being done by Farm Rescue, which has helped more than 700 farm families like Larry's over the past 15 years and to raise awareness for the benefit concert, which will take place next week. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But first, I want to get to the uh, mission of Farm Rescue, uh, which provides the necessary equipment and also the manpower to plant, hay, harvest, uh, transport crops or commodities, feed livestock and a number of other things around the farm. And uh, they help out a lot of farmers and ranchers who've experienced a major illness or injury or natural disaster. And Dan, as we wrap up 2020, the need for such services just continues to grow. You know, this year you've had hurricanes and and wildfires and derechos and droughts. And on top of that, uh, COVID-19. And I know the uh, the phrase, a perfect storm, is widely overused. But uh, if ever there was a good use for that, uh, it's been 2020. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brent. Uh, it's been a very interesting year for for our organization, and I think uh, a lot of nonprofits in general uh, just uh, rolling with the punches and and trying to to stay on top of things despite uh, everything that's been going on in the world. Um, it, it started off as a very interesting year for us. Our normal spring activities were anything but that. Uh, we had uh, a couple week quarantine requirement for anyone coming into into the state of North Dakota, which is where our office is located. And so uh, it, we just couldn't make that work with a lot of our out-of-state volunteers. And, and we do rely very heavily on uh, a lot of those out-of-state volunteers to, to carry us through and, and carry out our mission, be our boots on the ground. And so uh, a lot of our local volunteers in the Dakotas really stepped up for us in that spring planting season uh, to get those seeds in the ground for for farmers going through a crisis. And uh, Larry Lyre was one of those local volunteers that, that really stepped up and helped us out this year. 
So right now you're operating in the Dakotas as well as Montana, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas. But you have more than a thousand volunteers who come from all across the country uh, mm -hmm. to answer the call for assistance. Yeah, it's uh, an incredible family that we have built here at Farm Rescue. Uh, uh, started in 2006. Uh, that was our first year of operation. And uh, I think they helped 10 families uh, just in North Dakota that year with uh, just five volunteers. Uh, and like you said, since then, we've grown to, to over a thousand uh, farm rescuers that we call them, volunteers that have answered the call. Uh, they represent, uh, at last count, 49 different states. Um, so they, they come from, from all walks of life. Uh, you know, we have pilots, we have pastors, retired farmers, um, you know, law enforcement officers, veterans. Um, we have a rocket scientist. Uh, he works for NASA, comes up every spring. Uh, to help us with our planting assistance efforts. Uh, so just the the folks that that carry out this mission that serve as our boots on the ground are an incredible story in themselves, not to mention the the folks that that we're helping those farm and ranch families in crisis. So as we sit right now, what are the biggest challenges that farm rescue faces as an organization? You know, I think uh, the the same as as a lot uh, of different nonprofits right now. It's just it's been a different year. We rely very heavily on, on donations and the, the generosity of others. And, and we've seen still a lot of it despite all that's going on. Um, but because we are a nonprofit, the, the, you know, the, the donations go a long way for us. And so every dollar is gonna count this year. Uh, and, and that's why we appreciate the support of, of all of our uh, you know, donors and, and business sponsors, including John Deere, so very much to, to carry us through uh, this time and, and keep our mission going for years to come. So how can folks who are hearing this or watching this live stream provide support to Farm Rescue? Uh, I, you know, first and foremost, it's, uh, it's donations. Uh, you know, you can, you can do anything uh, through our website uh, that, that you need to. It's uh, farmrescue.org. Uh, we take donations there, and uh, that's where you go if, if you're in need of assistance yourself. If you're a, a farmer ranch family that's experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster, uh, and you live within the, our seven state service territory, again, the, the Dakotas, Montana, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and now Kansas, uh, you can go there, farmrescue.org, uh, fill out an application, uh, and our board will review that. We just ask a, a few more questions and, and do some, some background checks. Uh, and, and it's very few that, that we turn away for assistance if they, they qualify through, again, injury, illness, or natural disaster. Uh, and then if you want to just get more involved with our mission and, and feel the call to, to become a volunteer and, again, serve as our boots on the ground, whether it be through uh, planting, haying, harvesting, livestock feeding assistance, commodity hauling, um, you know, like I said, people come from all walks of life to, to further our mission. And, and you can sign up again right there on our website, farmrescue.org. And we talk about the more than 700 farm families who have been helped over the past 15 years. That's difficult to put into proper perspective until you think about the fact that that's more than 700 individual stories. Farm families who have faced adversity and have reached out to Farm Rescue and Farm Rescue was there for them. One of those families was the Liar family from Hague, North Dakota, which received assistance from Farm Rescue in 2008 and again in 2011. Two of Larry Liar's seven children suffer from a rare genetic disorder which prevented him from carrying out his normal operations during those two growing seasons. He was so grateful for the support he received. He's now paying it forward as a farm rescue volunteer. And before we go any further, let's hear Larry's story. 
My name is Larry Lyre and I'm from Hague, North Dakota. I've been farming most of my life. Uh, we're just in the process right now of turning the farm over to our youngest son. Uh, I've been married just about 38 years now. We have seven children and two of them have a inherited genetic disorder and Farm Rescue was at our farm in 2008 and 2011. At the time when Farm Rescue came, probably what would have took me two weeks, they did in a couple days. So it gave us an opportunity to spend more time with and take care of our two children that are needing a lot of care. If it comes down to seeding your crop or combining it, if your children need something, uh, they come first. So I was very grateful for Farm Rescue when they came. And when Farm Rescue left, I told Bill Gross that someday if I'm healthy enough and have the time, I'm gonna volunteer for Farm Rescue. I sat down with my family about a month ago and looked at our schedule and I said, uh, this is the week I'm gonna go to Farm Rescue. I'm gonna go volunteer. And both my son and my wife said, if you wanna go, you just go. It means a lot that I can help somebody now here that needs help. I talked to Levi, his wife fell off the horse and uh, they're very glad that we're here to give them an extra hand to get the crop taken off the field so they got one less thing to worry about. If you're even thinking about volunteering, do it. It's a great feeling. I hope to be able to continue to come back when I got time. I'm excited and I'm proud to be here. Well, you can't watch that video and not feel the emotion and, and the personal connection, Larry, that you feel to this organization. Yeah, back in 2008, you know, uh, computers weren't that uh, popular yet, not in our house anyway. And um, I remember while I was milking cows, uh, heard about farm rescue on the radio and went in one ear and out the other until it came to a point where the doctor said your son Nathan needs uh, back surgery for his scoliosis which was part of his Friedrich's ataxia uh, which is a form of muscular dystrophy and uh, I called farm rescue um, they they were very kind to me when I called them and I had to fill out some paperwork. Somebody came and interviewed me. Um, we went we went down to Minneapolis, my wife and I, to be with Nathan when he had his back surgery. And when we came home, the wheat was in the bin. Uh, we didn't even get to meet the volunteers that year until we went to the banquet that fall. And uh, then in 2011, when my another daughter of mine uh, was diagnosed with the same disorder, uh, Farm Rescue came and seeded my wheat that year. And I'm, get emotional every time. I talk about it, but we're, very grateful for Farm Rescue that day. Helped us twice, 
And I just felt the need that I needed to give back. So in last year in 2019, I, I volunteered for my first time and then I was able to help again this year a couple of times. So what has that volunteer experience looked like for you? Well, when Farm Rescue volunteers were at our place in 2011, when we got to work with them, we thanked them over and over for coming. And they they said that they get more out of it than, than what, what they're doing, really doing for us. And I never knew what they meant until last year when I went to help in, I think, three cases I helped with. Uh, I knew what they were talking about. It was a very gratifying feeling to be able to help somebody and not not get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And we know that 97% of farm families have maintained operations for at least three years following the support of Farm Rescue. And you're certainly among that 97%. How are things looking on the Liar Farm today? Well, everything, everything's good here. Um, we had seven children, and the youngest one right now, we sold the farm to our youngest son, and he's taken over the farm. So that extra little bit of extra help that we got those two years when we were dealing with health concerns of our children was uh, very helpful what what would have took us two weeks uh took farm rescue two days to do it what they did with their big equipment and their the the volunteers that came to help us so and dan what uh larry mentioned about volunteers winding up getting more out of the process than than, uh, the recipients i imagine that's a common refrain that you hear yeah, absolutely. And I, like I said, in, in my job, I get the, you know, the pleasure of being able to tell the stories of not only the, the families that we're assisting, uh, but the, the amazing uh, family of volunteers that we have, uh, Larry, among that group. Uh, and it is a common phrase. They, you know, I hear that a lot uh, talking to these folks that, that come up here to, to serve as our boots on the ground is they, they get so much more out of it than or they believe they get so much more out of it than than the folks that they're helping. Um, and it's it's incredible when you stop and think about it. You got people coming from, uh, you know, across the country to the Midwest. Here, they're not getting paid to do this. They're yeah. a lot of times taking, you know, time away from from work if if they are still working. Uh, they're using their vacation time to come up here and help a complete stranger um, in in their time of need. Uh, and every time I I talk about our volunteers, it uh, you know warms the heart because they are they're the lifeblood of what we do. Uh, and we couldn't we couldn't do any of this without the help of amazing people like Larry Lyre. What is the spirit like on a, on a work site when everybody's pitching in and uh, and just getting the job done? Yeah, it's it's incredible to to watch firsthand. Um, a lot of times, again, I'm I'm more of a fly on the wall when I'm there with with a camera and getting to tell these stories. But uh, just seeing the the camaraderie between. Uh, you know, the volunteers, a lot of times they have never met before either. Uh, you know, there's there's a training process that goes into to running that equipment before they, they get to the field. But 
uh, a lot of times they're meeting for the first time at these cases as well and just how they come together and, and fall into different roles to to get that job done as quickly as possible and and move on to to help the next family is incredible and then the the relationships that they form with the families themselves just in the the short amount of time that they're there uh, and that's what's most incredible to me is just the bonds that are formed um, it, just in a couple days of, of being there to plant a crop or harvest a crop. Um, a lot of our volunteers now, if they are coming from out of state, they will plan their trip to the Midwest to visit, uh, you know, farms that they've helped in the past. And they're, they're exchanging Christmas cards with these people years down the road. And it's just incredible the bonds that are formed through this program. So Larry, how many generations back does your family's farm go? Um, the, the farm we're on right now is, is uh, the farm that my wife grew up on, her dad's farm. So uh, one, two are on the third generation now of my wife's farm. We both grew up on dairy farms. So um, yeah, we've been milking most of our, our life. We quit 10 years ago, but uh, we grew up milking cows and then we made a living for about 25 years milking cows so mm -hmm. and you know i know as guys we like to take everything on our shoulders and do it ourselves and uh you, you know when you get into that position where you you kind of have your back against the wall and you and you don't even really know what to do you need to be in two places at, at once and you feel a tremendous burden or sense of responsibility for anybody who's listening to this right now and finds themselves in that position what would you tell them about farm rescue? Well, as as uh, as a farmer, most farmers are proud. Uh, they don't like to ask for help, and nowadays, farms are so big. Uh, the families in each farm family are smaller. Uh, years ago, we were able to go to the neighbor get one of the two or there of the neighbor kids to come and help when we had big jobs to do. Now that isn't an option anymore. Everybody has their own work to do. So when a crisis occurs or a natural disaster, uh, that's where sometimes you have to swallow your pride and, and look for help. And that's where farm rescue fits in. That's where farm rescue helped us twice they came we were on the receiving end twice so we're very grateful and i would imagine when you made that call to them there was no hesitation on their part no i i said i don't know if i'm if i'm eligible or and they i explained my situation that my son needed to have back surgery and they said you're the kind of case or situation we're looking for um and i applied and like i said we weren't even here when they came and when we came back home two weeks three weeks later the work was done i even kind of joked to somebody that i think i need to leave more often so my work gets done but yeah it's, it's a wonderful organization not only on the receiving end but on the giving back end. 
Well, Dan, John Deere and some of its dealers have been great supporters of Farm Rescue from an equipment standpoint, even a manpower standpoint, and they've got some dedicated volunteers, and you've got a lot of dedicated volunteers. This organization still needs funding for feeding and lodging volunteers and putting fuel into vehicles and machinery, and that's where this donor support is so critical. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, we're covering seven states and just the um, you know, the, the moving of equipment and, and volunteers from uh, case to case throughout that region is very, very expensive. Uh, and so the, the support we receive from donors and, and business sponsors uh, and equipment sponsors uh, like John Deere is, is, you know, absolutely crucial to what we're doing. Uh, and we can't thank all those folks enough that support our mission uh, from, you know, the individual dollar donors that just, you know, they're able to give a couple dollars uh, to to our bigger uh, business sponsors. Every dollar makes a difference for Farm Rescue. So to help raise funds for Farm Rescue, John Deere is going to present The Farm Must Go On, which is a benefit concert that will be held next Wednesday, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And that's going to be streamed live on YouTube. It's going to be emanating from the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, there, there's your lineup of performance. Dustin Lynch, Maddie and Tay, Mickey Guyton, Travis Denning, and Tyler Farr all going to be there. And uh, I'll tell you what, another cool thing they're doing, the concert will be open to everyone with no ticket required, but donations are being accepted at www.thefarmmustgoon.com. And on that site, you can also donate $10 for a chance to win a virtual meet and greet with one of the show's performers. And uh, winners are going to be randomly selected and then notified by email for that. So really exciting time for, for people to kind of uh, wind down the year, get a little entertainment and, and also call attention to this special cause. Yeah, absolutely. We were you know, blown away when when John Ear uh, brought this idea to us. Um, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's going to serve several purposes. First and foremost, it's uh, to celebrate the uh, the farm family and, and farmers in general uh, and, and all that they do uh, and the struggles that they, they go with to, to put food on the table for the world. Uh, and it's also, you know, an, an amazing blessing to our organization to kind of shine a light on, on the work that our volunteers are doing um, and our supporters are, are making possible, um, John Deere being one of those. Uh, so we we can't thank John Deere enough and, and again, all of our supporters enough for uh, making this possible. And specifically this event, it's something we have been very excited about since we first heard about it. You saw the lineup, uh, just an incredible group of artists that are taking part in this. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's just what we need right now. And uh, it, it should be a fun night to uh, cozy up at home or, you know, with uh, whoever you want in front of in front of that screen and, and watch some some awesome performers and and hear some incredible stories of, of some of the folks that Farm Rescue has helped over the years. And that website, thefarmmustgoon.com, also has a wealth of information about Farm Rescue and some of the facts and figures behind why this is such an important mission. Uh, they also have a little merchandise with uh, their, their really cool little logo emblazoned yeah. on it. So go check that stuff out. They've got some virtual backgrounds uh, that, that you can pop on while you're watching the show. Some really cool stuff, really well thought out. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there's been a lot of work done uh, behind the scenes leading up to this. And again, we all thanks goes to, to John Deere and their team to, to bring this all together. It's been, you know, months of planning and preparation. Um, it, it's going to be an incredible night and something that we're very, very much looking forward to. Well, before we get out of here tonight, Dan, any last thoughts from you? 
Uh, just a big thanks again to to Larry and and all the volunteers that might be watching this. Uh, like I said, uh, this isn't possible without the incredible family of supporters that we have. That again, they come from all walks of life just to extend a, a helping hand to a farm family or a ranch family in crisis. And um, that's what it's all about. It's neighbors helping neighbors. It's just that our neighbors come from a little further down the road. Larry, any parting thoughts from you, sir? Yeah, uh, the only, one thing I'd like to say is. Uh, don't be afraid to apply for help if you need help. Well, like I said before, we're proud. We know farmers are proud, but don't be scared to apply for help. Uh, ask Farm Rescue to come and help you. And if you feel like giving back, uh, being a volunteer, uh, don't be afraid to apply and be a volunteer because um, that's a great feeling to help somebody. When they when they need help well gentlemen thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on fast line fast track we're thrilled to be able to help you get the word out about the work being done by farm rescue and we hope everyone watching will get behind the cause and we'll also watch this concert again next wednesday at eight o'clock p.m eastern from the brooklyn bowl in nashville tennessee you can stream that on youtube make sure you go to the farm must go on.com check it out also during the week get on farmrescue.org check out all the great work that they're doing as well find out how you can become involved donate money and uh, just support this great charity chandler equipment for 51 years chandler equipment has been manufacturing excellence the finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders fertilizer tenders seed tenders and litter conveyors they also sell a full line of raven industries precision ag products to find out more about the full chandler product line or to find a chandler equipment dealer near you visit chandlerequipment.net or give them a call at 800-243 3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, in the face of COVID-19, many school students are engaged in virtual learning, meaning they're spending more time around the farm. With that comes the heightened risk for accidents, so I wanted to bring in Scott Heiberger, the communications manager for the National Farm Medicine Center, to talk about things you can do to keep your kiddos safe. And Scott, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hello, Brent. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you what, these are interesting times to say the least. And, and I know since the outset of this pandemic, uh, you guys have been paying acute attention to uh, not only just uh, safety in general on the farm, but but also where it intersects with children on the farm. Yeah, we have. And, you know, honestly, these first few months, it's kind of a helpless feeling because before the pandemic, a lot of our work was uh, aimed towards parents and supervisors of kids who work on farms because we feel like they're the decision makers and you know those are the ones that we should be talking to but now you've got the situation of the past few months and you have so many events canceled and most times school canceled and you're a parent and and so here we are trying to urge parents to you know keep little kids out of the workplace you know keep keep them supervised if they're doing something particularly dangerous try to get some childcare during those times. And there they are between a rock and a hard place with, with any number of challenges and they're spread thin and everybody listening uh, knows how hard that's been for a farm family to, to navigate this. So in the short term, we're, we're uh, still trying to put the message out, you know, hey, do what you can if you've got a particularly dangerous uh, hazardous job, you know, machinery, you don't want kids backed over, especially the little kids still try to do your best to arrange something, at least for those most hazardous jobs. In the meantime, and, and this will take a little while, but 
we've got a project with our new children's center grant that looks at childcare on farms. And, you know, we know it's not real accessible. We know it's a challenge. So what we're doing is we have a project for the very first time really looks at uh, if you have childcare and it's accessible and farmers use it, how much does that reduce injury? And we've got a project that over the next couple of years is going to look at that and come up with re real data, real numbers, uh, also interview farm parents about the challenges because whatever daycare, childcare situation, maybe the state or, or somebody could help with, um, you're going to have to have some data to show them um, and, and really back it up. So that's a couple years down the line. Hopefully we can influence some policy, get a little help uh, for families so that they can continue to feed the world and, and still uh, get a little help with the, with the kids on the side. You know, otherwise we've got, um, you know, some, some resources online. If you go to our national Google, our national farm medicine center website, um, there's a drop down menu. You can go to the children's center and uh, there's, there's different things on there for, you know, some homeschooling ideas, um, those things, but um, you know, it all, it all does sound very inadequate at a time that families, um, you know, couldn't be spread more thin. Um, there is another item uh, on our website that might be of help. It's some tips for uh, insurance, health insurance, uh, some some exchanges, some links, some places you can go uh, to try to see what already exists out there and what, what you might already qualify for. Um, so in the midst of doing the projects that we had planned on doing this year and, and next year, um, in addition to that, we're also trying to, like you say, respond to the to the real life situation on the ground right now. Well, it's an interesting time because I've heard it jokingly referred to as extended vocational ag training here. And in some cases, it has become that. I know I'm sure a lot of kids were a big help at, at harvest time this year where they might not have been in years past. But I, I kind of wonder what that's going to mean, you know, because we, we've seen uh, almost a little bit of this exodus uh, from rural communities and farms, kids not coming back, taking other jobs. But now that they're spending more time around here, if that's going to lead to any kind of a reinvigoration uh, on the farms and in rural communities. It's interesting you bring that up. Um, when you work in safety and health and you go to safety and health conferences and you collaborate with other safety and health people, your focus tends to be, even though you love farming, it tends to be on the problems. That's yeah. you know, kind of why, why you're doing it. Um, but it is possible to lose sight of, of the positive things as you're alluding to. And so one of our projects that we have that just started, we're kind of taking a step back and we all sort of know in our guts that growing up on a farm teaches you uh, responsibility and work ethic and, and many positive things that you can carry through life. But has anyone really measured that? And so we've got a project in our National Children's Center program that's going to look at kids who live on uh, cattle cattle farms, Nebraska, and I think maybe Colorado, and to not only uh, address the hazards and sort of, you know, enumerate the hazards that they face and how they, they and their families deal with it, but also to look and to really, you know, quantify and get some data on the good things. Okay, we say it, it builds responsibility and work ethic. Well, how does it do that? And can you measure it? And we have a project that's, that's going to try to do that so that um, we're looking at the, at the whole uh, the totality of it and, and not just one part of it uh, to, to weigh the good and the, and the hazardous and, and how do you uh, as a parent maybe navigate that. And like you said, you know, it's been, when's the last time you had kids home during planting season and, and during the harvest. And so 
uh, there could be a lot of cool things about that. And um, so we're kind of excited that our project, which had been planned earlier anyway, this farm kid paradox project of, of there's good and there's hazardous, um, it, it does um, uh, kind of fit in with, with this um, really weird situation that nobody expected, but um, we're, we're glad to be able to work on it. What really drives you and the other members of the staff there at the National Farm Medicine Center? Wow, that's a good question. Um, and I'm so glad you asked. Uh, most of us grew up on farms or, or spent you know, large chunks of our childhoods growing up on farms. And we want that to continue. And we just feel like there's some things that can be avoided, uh, some um, tragedies that can be avoided. And we all can think back to our uh, close calls and, and practices. And we're glad we made it. And we want to convey to the next generation of farmers and, and, and to, the, to those raising them so they can be the next generation of farmers. Um, there really are some, uh, you know, we think some simple things and, and a change of a mindset uh, that could that could ensure that, um, you know, these kids growing up now don't get injured and, and uh, you know, can grow up to be that next generation of, of producers. And, um, you know, we all, we all, we all are very, very fond of agriculture in the farm community. And, and we feel like it really needs a voice. Somebody in Washington, D.C. who we work with said, you know, the farm population, you're, you're less than 2%. You're less than a rounding error. And it's like, wow, less than a rounding error when you're talking about like, you know, poles or populations. And that really hit home. And so it makes us want to want to come to work every day and, um, you know, advocate for, for farming and farm living and, uh, and hopefully make it safer. You know, I know health and safety on the farm, both physical and mental health, are hugely important to us, and that's something that we want to keep front and center. And, and you guys are just doing a great job, uh, you know, not, not only telling those stories, but being able to quantify it so uh, people who don't have that understanding may gain that understanding. And, and you mentioned telling the story, so that's another trigger. Uh, one of my, maybe my favorite project um, uh, is not dealing with children necessarily. It's called tellingthestoryproject.org, tellingthestoryproject, all one word, .org. It's a website where we, we work with farmers and, and they tell us their stories about uh, close calls, near misses. Unfortunately, in a couple of cases, fatalities, where we end up uh, talking with the family, the survivors. But the point of it is, we know that farmers listen to other farmers and trust other farmers. So we're asking farmers to share their stories uh, we work with them to insert a couple safety messages, um, resources, prevention tips, et cetera, because chances are the story they're telling us has happened before, and chances are we've got a decent idea on how to avoid it. And the farmers really like participating in this because it helps them uh, help some other family avoid what they had to go through. Um, Tellingastoryproject.org, and if people want to uh, share their story or um, you know, ask us if if, uh, if if this is something that that might fit in, and and uh, just want to share their experience with us. There's an email at the bottom of the website there you can click on and and uh, get hold of us. And we can go from there. Um, but that's been um, a real meaningful project because it's something um, a farmer can do that uh, they can kind of rest assured that most likely uh, it will prevent a, a tragedy to someone else. All right. So if folks want more tips on safety and health on the farm, what, where can they go to access that information? 
And that's something that we're acutely aware of just because we pay such close attention to it. And you like to think that with all the education and all the interviews like this and the content that we put out, the people would heed that. And you'd see some of these numbers trending downward. But unfortunately, right now, we're not seeing that. So we're going to keep beating the drum here on this end. And I know you guys are going to continue studying it on your end. And we'll meet in the middle and keep this thing front and center. And if folks want additional tips on safety and health on the farm, where can they go to access that information? The best one-stop shopping would be a website called cultivatesafety.org. And cultivate safety is one word. We've loaded all of our resources pertaining to adult and child safety and health on there. It's really easy to use. It's like Amazon. You uh, go to the site, you type in a keyword, uh, could be, uh, you know, machinery tractors, uh, hand washing if you've got an agritourism operation and all the relevant resources will pop up for that topic. And uh, uh, so again, cultivatesafety.org is a, is a good place to go for all your safety and health needs. And Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. We really appreciate and admire the work your organization is doing, and we'd love to have you back on here to talk about it anytime. Thanks, Brad. Thanks very much. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time once again for another installment of Bushels and Scents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Scents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. Your wife's car and your pickup both have four-wheel disc brakes. On the car, the emergency brake is activated via the rear calipers. On your truck, it uses a dedicated set of brake shoes. Both of you never use the emergency brake. The caliper sees on your wife's car and though the vehicle stops, has excessive brake pedal travel. Two new calipers and labor costs $900. If she would have always used the emergency brake, you would have saved the equivalent of 257 bushels of corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house for a chat with a guy who simply describes himself as a blue-collar country artist from Pig, Kentucky. Ryan Davis sings country music the way it was meant to be sung, and we're thankful to have him here with us this week. Ryan, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hi, y'all. How's your mom and them? Uh, appreciate you having me, Brent. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here, and glad that y'all are uh, giving good old-fashioned country music a place to live, man. Oh, we love it. And I tell you what, I love the story about Pig, Kentucky and how it got its name. Allegedly, there was a dispute over who and how the ta- town was going to be named, and somebody saw a pig on the side of the road and said, hey, why don't we just call it Pig? And it's stuck and in the story. Yeah, that's that's the story that I heard anyway. That's the, that's the local legend. Nobody really knows who named it or uh, uh, anything like that, but I guess that's how the town got its name. I'm, I'm Rye from Pig. That's what I tell everybody. Uh, uh, some people would pay to pay to be from Pig just so they could say that, man, but, uh, proud to be where I'm from. That's for sure. I love it. We'll get into talking about that a little bit later on, but, uh, how you been, man? I've been doing good. You know, uh, we, uh, uh, of course we've been shut down a little bit with the COVID, uh, you know, Kentucky shut shut everything down again, but we have been able to get out and do like some campground shows and stuff like that. Uh, we released a new uh, a new EP right before the first round of COVID hit, so that was terrible timing on our part. But uh, folks seem to still enjoy it. Um, 
but you know we've just been hanging out uh doing our thing and uh just getting some work done here on the farm we actually farm as well i, I got into farming before uh before i got into music and uh they both kind of took off at the same time and so we've been catching up around here and uh my wife's my wife's we're having our first baby she's on the way we're gonna have a little girl due in may so uh so so we're just living life man and we ain't slowing COVID might be trying to slow the world down but we ain't slowing down any here in pig i love it man congratulations on the little one that's awesome news yeah we're excited man i appreciate that and congratulations to your wife brandy who's also your manager and uh, d doing a great job on that front yeah the boss is what i call her she's <laughs> the boss on all fronts that's for sure <laughs> and she probably doesn't let you forget that does she no uh -uh, not even she's sitting here watching me right now from the other side of the camera making sure that uh, i let everybody know <laughs> that she is the boss. I got to, I got to make sure that everybody knows that. I love it. Well, Hey to Brandy. Uh, and it's been a pleasure working with her, getting things set up for tonight. Before we peel back the layers on your backstory, would you kick us off with the song tonight? Absolutely, man. Uh, this song is off the, uh, is off my first record. It's a song that, uh, uh, I feel like everybody out there can kind of relate to anybody who's ever had a mama, especially the boys out there. I wrote this song with a buddy of mine named Jeffrey blades after, uh, uh, my mom overheard a conversation saying that uh, we thought we got away with a lot more than what we did. She said, Ryan, I know everything you did in high school because you were too stupid to take everything out of your blue jean pockets before I washed them. This song's called Blue Jeans. It goes out to all the mamas out there. These old blue jeans red and tattered and tore Earned a scoring and nipped in this war They've been on depression They've never broke Yeah, when mama washed my jeans Lord, them secrets they told They told all about the night I snuck out from a smell of spilled whiskey and all the beer caps. The time that I punched that old boy in the mouth. Them old blood stains, Lord, they're still hanging around. These old blue jeans, red and tattered and torn, earned a scoring and nipped in them war. They've been under pressure, they never broke. Yeah, when mama washed my jeans, all damn secrets they told. They've been to church and dusty old bars. And just like me, Lord, they've earned every scar. They've been under pressure. They've never broke. Yeah, when mama washed my jeans, Lord, them secrets they told. They've been under pressure, 
they've never broke. Yeah, when mama washed my jeans, Lord, damn secrets they told. Uh, that's country right there, son. There you go. A little song for the mamas out there. Well, like Fastline, Rye hails from the Commonwealth of Kentucky, which has a long history of producing legendary country artists. Tell us a bit about your raising. What was life like growing up there in Pig? And when do you remember country music coming into your life? Uh, well, you're right about Kentucky having a really rich history of music. I mean, it's got a uh, it's got a whole form of music named after it with bluegrass, you know. And uh, uh, a lot of that, and, you know, growing up, not during the 90s man 90s and early 2000s country music kind of ruled the world anyway uh so that was always there my dad was always a huge willie and waylon fan like all that outlaw country stuff and uh that had a big influence on me and from the time i can remember there's always been music in the house like we weren't really tv people we were definitely more you know radio people my my mom was actually since we found out that we're having our own kids she was telling me how uh you know when i was a baby like they had to, to put me to sleep with the radio on or I refused to go to sleep. So it's it's one of those things that uh, it's it's always been around and I didn't realize how much I needed it until I knew I needed it. If that makes any sense. I yeah. used to play uh, um, I used to play, you know, baseball it was my profession before this. And uh, when I got done playing, I'd, I'd messed around, like learning the guitar a little bit when I was in the minor leagues and uh uh i got done and there was just I, I i felt the need to you know perform and sing and go out and do my thing and and it just kind of took off from there so it's always been around but i've never been always in it you know my parents weren't entertainers or anything they just love they just love country music and, and i've always loved country music and uh i i thought everybody loved it as much as i did but then when i kind of got to diving in i kind of found out that uh it's one of those things that I really couldn't do without, and I'm glad we are where we are now. So, uh, Pig, Kentucky, about an hour and 20 minutes north of Nashville. Did you spend much time there or any time there growing up or as a, as a young adult? Yeah, I spent uh, I spent some time in Nashville playing uh, baseball. Actually, there's a, a, a complex called Twitty City. Uh, uh -huh. Conway Twitty built a, uh, a baseball complex there because he actually, apparently he was a minor league baseball player too. You might want to fact check that. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think he was. Uh, and uh, he built a, a complex there, and I played summer ball there every year from the time I was like 15 till I was like seven, so, so two or three years, like 14 to 17 or something like that. I learned to drive going down I-65 so to, <laughs> to get to the ballpark. Um, so, But I never spent any time there for music or anything. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get into music until I was like 22, 22 or 23. After I was done playing baseball, I didn't play the guitar or anything. So you were talking about baseball, man. I know as much as you love music, you had another huge passion and, and focus, and that was baseball. Uh, you, you, you pitched for Western Kentucky University down there in Bowling Green, were drafted by the Cleveland Indians in 2010, didn't sign with them, but then signed a free agent deal with, with the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, uh, played a bit in their minor league organization and, uh, and did a very respectable job, man. Yeah, you know, I got to play, uh, I played three years at WKU uh, and uh, had a, you know, had, had a really good, uh, had a really good career in college. Uh, I was actually, uh, they just honored me 
with a, a thing. It's called the All Century Team. Western's been around. The baseball program or athletic program's been around for a hundred years, and uh, they named me as a relief pitcher of the century. I, oh, I was wow. on that team, so that was uh, that was actually really cool. Got uh, got to walk down memory lane a little bit there. Uh, and the team that I played for in college was there was like thirteen or fourteen guys that got drafted. We were unbelievable. I, I'd put those guys. Any day of the week, I'd put those guys up against anybody, uh, and uh, that that was that was always a lot of fun there at WKU. Uh, and then uh, my only playing time in pro ball came with the Phillies organization. Uh, ended up playing some, uh, made the double A team, and you know spring training, and uh, uh, kind of got cut loose after that. Uh, the next year, got to, well, I played a little bit in like New Jersey. I've lived everywhere, man, and then yeah. uh, played some independent ball up in Chicago and stuff, and. Uh, that's really honestly where I learned to to play. I, I bought a, I went to Guitar Center. There was a Guitar Center down in Clearwater, Florida that was across the street from the La Quinta Inn and Suites. I lived in a La Quinta Inn for about six or seven months one year and uh, went uh, uh, across the street and bought a, a guitar that was about this big. It looked like a ukulele. I'm six foot five, 300 and something odd pounds. Okay. I'm a big guy. And I bought this little, uh, this little, like guitar that looked awful funny on me. I started learning some chords and stuff and started writing songs right away. And, um, you know, after that, after I got released from, uh, the Phillies organization, bounced around some independent baseball, uh, programs and organizations, I decided it wasn't for me. And, uh, I was going to quit and kind of get into farming and, and mess around with some music and the messing around with music turned into a real passion and, and people liked what i was doing and it took off and now i'm i'm head over heels and doing everything so it's been it's been a good life so far man and baseball was really really good to me and uh uh it it really helped me to uh the biggest thing i learned from baseball is, is how to meet people and be around people you were 40 something guys all the time and, and everybody's different from different parts of the world and uh, you just, you get a real appreciation for where you come from and who you are. And, uh, uh, like I said, the, the game was just really great to me. And, uh, it introduced me to a lot of great people and a lot of great, you know, and I got to into music because of it. So, uh, I hope, I hope that our kids are, are as passionate about a sport and can, and can go as far as, is what I was able to do for a long, a long period of my life. And your story was one of overcoming because when you were at Western, uh, you, you suffered kind of a a freak injury that kind of kind of changed things a bit for you. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was uh, it was an inter squad game. The the in between my freshman and sophomore year, I'm actually I'm blind in my right eye. Uh, I can't see anything straight ahead. I've got uh, it's a thing called like macromial degeneration or something. I don't know. It's caused by impact. I can't see nothing. I'm blind in my right eye, and uh, but I ended up coming back and playing with it. I just had to, you know, a lot of rehab and stuff, and learning how to kind of adjust the one eye. I was lucky enough they didn't have to take it out. I was hit with a line drive uh, in an inter squad game between my freshman and sophomore year. It popped me right in here, and uh, uh, <laughs> it was a good one. I had uh, I actually a funny story behind that. It's it's kind of funny now looking back at it because. Everything besides the vision, you know, the eyes functional. It just had a lot of, lot of scar tissue and stuff like that. But uh, um, the the cool thing about it is uh, uh, that I realized, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. It's just setting your mind to it. You know, um, I was able to come back and play, 
and uh, you know, played professionally, played for a long time. And uh, uh, I'm kind of glad that it happened, but I, I was a little bit of a YouTube sensation for a little bit. I actually, there was a video, uh, somebody, this is back when YouTube was first getting started, you know, and uh, there was a video of it that somebody had sent me and it was, it was nasty. I just be honest with you, it's pretty gross. And uh, uh, I had to take it down because every time somebody would put in, uh, it was, you know, it, it, it was up there. Nobody really looked it in, but it was called Rye Davis Hit in the Face. And I put it up there so some of my buddies could see it. And every time somebody would put in Rye Davis to look for my music, that was the first video that popped up. It got like an unbelievable amount of views, like a dude, like me just getting crushed by baseball. So I had to take it down because that's what everybody kept asking me about. Nobody, er, nobody would look for my music. They'd stop on that first video and then there they go. So, uh, uh, it's been a, that's, that's always a pretty interesting story to tell, like the whole journey through that. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was lucky to have, have made it through it and here I am making music now. So finished up with the yeah, man. two thirty three ERA after all that you've been through, man, to me, that that's just amazing. Then you came home and get, getting your Jersey retired for, for the uh, hometown baseball team there. Yeah, that was a, that was a really fun day, man. Uh, had a really, you know, I had a really good high school career, and like I said, that was a fun trip down memory lane. There, uh, everybody when they play, you know, you play a sport in high school and college, and you kind of dream that they'll retire your number. That I, they retired my number there, uh, which I never, you know, you, you never really think that they're actually going to do that. So that was a really fun phone call to get, and then, uh, uh, you know, a week later, they named me the All Century Team at WKU, and. Uh, you don't think like when you when you get into something, you know, like music that kind of consumes your life as much or more as the sport did, you uh, you forget about a lot of that things because you kind of get consumed in it. So it was really nice to to, uh, to get a little bit of recognition, you know, uh, to have a little bit of that. So, uh, you know, it's fun. I worked really hard back then. I'm working just as hard in music as in music now. And uh, uh, but that that was that was a really great moment. And Brandy, actually, my wife has never seen me play a single baseball game you know we right. met completely after that so that was both of those things were really cool for her so she could kind of see all those people in my life and uh kind of everybody talk it's really weird when people talk about like how good you were in like high school and college you know because you don't like you try not to talk about it all that much because i'm trying to get into like you know a, a different career and then like it makes you feel weird when like somebody's talking about you like yeah. having a conversation about you right in front of you. You never know like what to say. It's kind of, it makes you feel proud, but it's also kind of awkward when everybody's telling my wife how great I was. And she's just like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i tell you what, uh, man, you, you left baseball behind and got into to music and, uh, you know, first as a songwriter and then as a singer. And you seem like a really quick study because it, it appears that things took off pretty quickly for you for, from there. Yeah, I got lucky, uh, to be honest with you. Um, Brandy, before she was my manager, I, I got out of uh, I got out of baseball, and like I said, I'd started singing and learning the guitar a little bit and singing. And uh, she told me that I should try out for like this show that I'd never heard of. It was a show called Rising Star, and at this point, I'd never even I, I think I'd played like three or four shows in my entire life. Like I, I played like a few local shows, like just doing like some open mics and stuff and was just completely out of my league. But I stayed, you know, I waited in line. They like, 
uh, I tried out for that in the voice. I got a yes on the voice as well, but I didn't get to do like the TV thing. And then I got a yes for a show called Rising Star. And basically all it was was me doing it to uh, impress a girl that I just started dating. She, Some of her friends were trying out and she was like, you should go with them and, and see how that goes. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I went and I sang and they liked it. And um, of course it was just acapella, you know. And uh, I got I got lucky, man. And then they flew me out to Los Angeles and asked me to sing there. And I sang and I got a yes. And then I flew back out there and sang again for them and got a yes. And then they put me on TV and I just didn't do as well as, you know, what I needed to do. But it was a, man, great experience. So, like, that's when I knew. That's kind of when I knew, you know, I might be able to do this crazy music thing for a living when I just opened my mouth and kind of done my thing and people liked it. You know, I, I didn't win the show by any means, but that was kind of a blessing because I didn't know who I was. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't know anything about music. I didn't know I'd only written a couple songs at that point. And it really kind of lit up like getting a no in front of, you know, on live national television was kind of a fire. You know, I was like, you know, I can, I can do this. If I can do this within six months of me being, you know, making music what can i do if i like really apply myself like i have at everything else i mean it's something i'm passionate about something i love and i've already made it this far so it's only can only go up you know yeah so for uh, sure. that's a long-winded answer but that's uh i kind of got i got a little bit lucky just trying to impress my my now wife looking back at it now i see that i wasn't you know i wasn't ready i, I wasn't where i wanted to be i thought i was the time but looking back now you know, the judges were right. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to be at that level. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I've hit the road. I've probably played pretty close to that was four or five years ago now. And, uh, uh, I've played pretty close to a thousand shows since then and wrote three or 400 songs and, uh, performed and like really learned who I was and who I am. So when I look at that, I look at that show as kind of a starting point for my career and, and knowing, kind of what I what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. You know, there was a lot of behind the scenes like business stuff that I wasn't real crazy about. And uh, it was a real learning experience. If if uh, a lot of folks ask me about like what it's like to be on one of those TV shows, a lot of like younger artists or people that have been around a while want to try it. And I always tell them to you should get on the show and lose <laughs> so that you're not tied up with all that stuff. But you get to see you get the experience. You know what I'm saying? You get to see kind of how the big show works. And uh, uh, and that's one of the, I'm, I'm really glad that I got to go on there and uh, and lose so that I got to see what I was and what I wasn't and uh, and learn a lot of lessons along the way. So that's what I think. I, I know that's that's a couple of long answers for you there, but that's uh, that's kind of how I feel about that. I, I, I used to I think it's really cool, but I cringed a little bit when I watch it saying like, oh, you know, I really wasn't ready, but I think I'm ready now, man. Well, I understand, though, uh, despite getting no's that day, you, you got some pretty high praise from Brad Paisley, though. Yeah, he uh, he compared me to uh, Alan Jackson, said that I reminded him a lot of uh, of an Alan Jackson, which is completely fine by me. Anytime yes. you want to compare me to Alan Jackson, I'll be just fine with it. Yep. If there's one guy you got to get <laughs> compared to, that that's a good one right there. Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Legend. So, so you've, you've come a long way, man. You, you dropped the, uh, the album, A Story to Tell, in 2018. What was that whole process like for you? 
Uh, a story to tell was the first was really my first go at it. Like was mm-hmm. uh, where I was like, you know what? These are my songs. This is me. I want to just get a feel for how the studio works and get out something that I'm proud of. So uh, that uh, was a collection of songs that I wrote, me and Brandy wrote and a couple of friends got together and wrote and uh, had some had some pretty good success with it being completely independent and uh, uh, was really proud of every the way that every song really came out uh we uh you know we we still get requests for all those songs and play just about every one of them in our set list today so that was you know that was two years ago and it's still it's still gaining momentum you know being independent like we are uh every song counts so it's it's something we were real proud of and especially for it being the first like major release i'd release some singles and stuff before that but that was the first like attempt at a full album and something that that we really enjoyed. Well, before we go any further, I want to roll your song, They All Know My Name. Set this one up for us. Uh, that's a song kind of about what we were talking about earlier. It's uh, uh, a song that I wrote with a friend of mine named Jeffrey Blades uh, after I got done playing a show one night that uh, I'd worked really, really hard to get this set list together and play these songs, and nobody cared whether I was there or not. It was a, you know a bar situation that we were playing and nobody really cared anything about what I was doing up there. And I come back and tell Jeffrey, and it's, it's really a song about wanting to be appreciated, you know, wanting to have a little bit of, uh, uh, of recognition for all the hard work that you put in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I come to Jeffrey and I was like, man, I said, they're all going to wish that they paid attention when they all know my name. And, uh, that's what that song is. Uh, that's what that song's about getting that recognition and going, knowing what you want and going for it and not taking no for an answer. With a cheap guitar and a broken heart A lot of blood, sweat and beer Pour out my soul up on this stage And they don't even know I'm here sings my song and they all know my name give me a six string i got a melody and a story to tell yeah you're wasting your time waiting on me to fail i got a tip jar and i'll play for free one day things are gonna change when everybody sings my song i 
So they may not have known your name then, but I guarantee you they know it now. I've got some really passionate fans. I may not have a, like as many as everybody else does, but the ones that I got, I'll take over. I, I'll take the the ones that I've got over having a million that don't know who we are. You know, it's it's one of those things that uh, we get when we go play somewhere. Our fans show up, and our fan. A lot of our fans have turned into really good friends and family. You know, just by being out, just showing and bringing their friends and sharing everything. That's the cool thing about what we do and how we do it is uh, they show up and they care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're like a lot of these people that just hear that make connection with songs. And for me, that's what music is about. Like having that connection and bringing some sort of uh, story alive in a song that that hits close to home and and we can talk about and uh, from a song we've got you know we've got people that talk to us on a regular basis now so that's i've never actually got to say that but thanks to everybody for for being our friends fans and and uh, in a way family so since you've gotten down this road here of uh, writing and performing what's been the most uh, difficult part of this career wearing all the hats yeah uh, with with where we are, uh, it's one of my my number one goal as an artist is is I want to sell out the Ryman Auditorium as an independent artist. You know, uh, I'd like to do it without a record label. Of course, I I will do it with a record label if, if something like that comes <laughs> yeah, up. But uh, yeah. uh, wearing wearing all the hats, like uh, that's my number one goal is to sell out the Ryman. That's a dream of mine. And uh, but the other goal is to kind of become a master of my craft. And mm-hmm. to do that, I, I've got to spend a lifetime like learning my instrument, learning uh, the craft of songwriting, learning how to entertain, uh, how to keep people uh, at the shows. You know what I mean? Letting them see what they want. There's just so, so much that goes into being like a real master. I, I don't want to just, I don't, I, I don't really care anything about being famous or having, uh, uh, you know, all the accolades or anything like that. But I do want to be like a real master. And to do that, it takes a lot of time. And, but right now I'm wearing a lot of hats. Like when I could be writing or I could be, uh, uh, playing my, you know, learning my instrument, playing my guitar or, or looking back on some of the shows or playing even more shows. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm me and Brandy are booking or we're, you know, driving 400 miles between shows or we're uh, trying to keep up with the ever changing social media and, uh, keeping up with phone calls and just, and then on top of that, we've got, you know, a great home life here that we're also trying to get everything ready for the, the, the baby. So wearing, wearing all the hats is the hardest part, uh, you know, between booking and managing and driving and phone calls. And then on top of that, trying to make new music all the time and stay creative and do something that we haven't done and put out music that we're proud of. It's just, 
doing it all at once is the toughest part. None, none of it is really all that hard. It's just, it's dang near impossible to get to where we want to get. And, uh, uh, but it can be done by a guy like it can be done, but that's the most difficult part is, is it's hard to really become a master of something that you're passionate about and have to do a hundred other things at the same time. Yeah. What's been the most rewarding part of it for you? The connection that, uh, the songs have with people without a doubt. Like personally, I, I really enjoy, I, I really like putting on a show. I, I love being like being behind the mic and having the guitar and, and, uh, uh, and making people, you know, really like interacting with them there. That's one of my favorite things, but the thing that lasts kind of the, the test of time are songs, whether or not they ever get like on the radio, everybody knows them. The people that come to the shows and hear those songs. Like we've got a song, uh, uh, we've got three or four songs that every time we go to a show or we'll get random messages from people that found us online about like how that song really hit them. You know, we don't, we don't really do like a lot of like party style, like hit type songs. We, we really try and focus on the craft of like the story and try and uh, have hit a specific audience. You know, we've got, um it's blue jeans i played earlier uh a lot of people really connected that and we've got another one about alzheimer's and dementia a song called king me that uh we wrote about my wife's grandfather and we like we get all kinds of uh just reaction from that and people telling us their story so i'm not the most like i'm good like on stage and like doing this kind of stuff but i come off like I'm not the most uh, on top, like, uh, conversational person. You know what I mean? Like, I say what needs to be said in this type of stuff, but, like, when it comes to, like, an everyday basis and meeting strangers, I'm not as good. But being able to do that through my music is kind of how I connect with people. So uh, having a connection through the song is number one. Number two is entertaining people and and, uh, uh, enjoying the show. Uh, On the order of entertaining people, would you play us another one? Sure, I'll play. Uh, let's do. Let's do King Me. Here we go. This is the one uh, uh, that uh, we wrote about my wife's grandfather, and uh, it's about the terrible disease that is Alzheimer's and dementia, and what a lot of folks go through on a day-to-day basis. We feel like it's our responsibility as songwriters to uh, shed a little bit of light on the subject, and uh, that's what we're going to do with this one right here, and uh, hope that it. It does just that. It's called King Me. Hope you like it. I stopped by my parents' house. Mama called today. Dad broke out the checkers. It's his favorite game to play. Well, I walked in the kitchen while he set up the board. Grab some Dr. Peppers from the refrigerator door. He said, great, another doctor while I hand him his drink. But I've heard that joke before. It's the same one every week. Then it takes off on some story of an early memory. He pauses in the middle and then he says to me, well, I remember my first kiss, my first car, my first fight. And I remember where I was on the day 
videos die. How can a man recall all these milestones? But not remember where he puts his phone. Mom walks in with medicine. He said she thinks I'll forget. But it's a never-ending stream of pills, and I'm so damn tired of it. It's strange how I recall some things from my life oh so clear. But if you were to ask me now, I can't tell you the year. But I remember my first kiss, my first car, my first fight. And I remember where I was on the day that Elvis died. But I can't recall directions home from the hardware store. I got lost last week and they don't let me drive no more. Well, I played all afternoon and when his black one jumped my red, he looked at me and smiled. King means what he said. Then he made his final move and our game came to an end. He said, when you come back tomorrow, then I just might let you win. And I remember my first kiss, my first car, my first fight. And I remember where I was on the day that Elvis died. Thanks for playing checkers out. Always love this game. Could you please remind me of your name? Mm. Music is powerful, and that's a powerful song right there. Thanks, man. That's uh, that's a song that really hits close to home. Uh, to us and uh, you know we uh, we just hope that it brings a little bit of closure and a little bit of light uh, and attention to a subject that, that doesn't get enough and a lot of families out there going for it and if, are going through that and uh, if there's any families out there going through it just know that we're thinking about you and uh, uh, hope that one day they'll be able to put an end to that terrible disease yeah most definitely so, uh, you know, we, we talked about the new little one coming up next spring. What else is in the works for you for 2021? Well, we, uh, I don't, we've got new music. So I'm just going to say this. We had all these big plans for 2020. And with COVID hitting, we pushed everything back. Because when it first hit, we was like, oh, we'll wait a couple months and uh, and see what happens. So we, we released the last EP called uh, Cut to Tape and uh, uh, the day before the shutdown thinking like we just, you know, we played our cards. We we're like, we're just going to release it now. And it was a bad idea. It got grounded. But uh, we've got all kinds of uh, we got all kind. We got new music videos, uh, lots of all kinds of content for that. That's just in the works. And in the meantime, we've recorded like. 15, 20, what was, let me ask my wife, 20 something songs, like 20 something songs during the off time, like just to stay busy. So we've got another full album that we, uh, that we're working on right now, waiting on getting some mixes back. So, but I don't know when we're going to release them. I, now that everything's kind of shut down, I, I don't 
like releasing new music without being able to go out and play it for people. It's yeah. kind of like what I love doing. So I've, I've kind of held off on it and it's, it's making me antsy, but uh, there's new music ready and uh, we may have to start, you know, if, if, if this COVID thing drags on, we may have to start uh, releasing some stuff, but I don't, I don't know what 2021 holds, man. I, I know we've got new music and I know that, We've got a lot of content for it, a lot of like video stuff. Um, but I just, I like releasing it and going and touring around it. That's that's just kind of how I'm geared and that's what I want to do. And if I have to hold on to it, uh, I'll just keep people, I'll just keep them waiting. You know what I mean? We got the greatest fans. We got the greatest fans in the world anyway. And uh, they, they want to hear it live too. So uh, if we have to sit on it for a while, we will. So I don't know if that's 2021, 2025, whatever it is. We got, we're going to do it right. We're not going to do it just for the sake of doing it. We're going to make sure that we do it right when we when we get it done. So uh, new music's coming, hopefully in 2021. If not 2021, then 2022 or 7 or 2040 or whatever it is. <laughs> so for my farming crowd out here, you mentioned the farm a little bit earlier. Tell, tell us about your farming operation. Uh, go back and tell me a bit about the farm you grew up on and then tell me what you got going on here today with it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, that's all my parents have ever done. Uh, I grew up on a family farm. Um, we, you know, both my parents worked the farm and me and my brother worked the farm. Uh, it's a third generation. My, I grew up on it. Everybody in Kentucky was tobacco farmers. It was tobacco in a dairy farm uh, and uh, grew up in a tobacco patch. And then uh, that and uh, uh, milk and dairy kind of, uh, Took a little bit of a downward spiral there so my parents got into poultry farming got two purdue chicken houses and uh, grew up in those as well that'll make a man out of you if you uh, ever cleaned out a chicken barn anybody that's ever done that i've done that from the time i was like nine <laughs> and up so uh, we did at one point we were doing all three of those and then um baseball uh kind of took over my life after and during and after high school you know uh uh, still had to work and do all that stuff. And um, after I got released from playing baseball, the first thing that I did is uh, I got a uh, I got a job selling equipment. Uh, well, the first thing I did was I had to work at the Dollar General store, uh, which was a really humbling experience. Being uh, thinking that I was going to be like a major league baseball star, going completely broke and having to, you know, kind of start from scratch. And uh, but I got a job selling compact equipment. And when I done that. Um, I bought cattle. I bought uh, 32 head of beef cows, and uh, and then I've, I've built it up from there. We're at like 50-something head now, and uh, then I started doing the music thing. I tried out for the show and, and all that, so there I was with uh, me and Brandy have a 96-acre farm, and then Dad's got a little over 100 acres that uh, we farm as well, and now me and Dad are kind of in it together because we stay so busy on the weekends that uh, he'll take care of everything on like Friday and Saturday or Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And I'll do all the feeding and everything uh, through the week before we hit the road. So it's, uh, we're making it work, man, but we've, we're, we're up to 54 mama cows now. And at one time we were doing some backgrounding, had a couple hundred head on the place. And it's, I've never been able to get away from it, man. We've always, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, musicians kind of hobby farm and, and have a few cows and stuff but we we're in it wide open during the summer it gets it gets pretty hectic we uh 
last um I had to do a show. I had to go to I was doing something like Michigan, like during and I had to get to I had to get a a, a field resewed. Or I had to put some seat in the field for people who don't know what that is. I had to sew a field and I got done at like what well, was like ten thirty one night. And then we drove to Michigan uh, through the night and played and did like two shows and then come back down here and had uh, had some like just a lot of work that we had to get done. I don't sleep a whole lot. And I guess that's good preparation for the baby. But, uh, um, you know, we're going to have to we're going to have to figure something out because we're, we're wide open and on every corner, man. <laughs> it'll all shake out. Yeah, it'll all shake out. But I. I'm going to be this. It's, it's another thing that I'm really passionate about. I'm, I'm really lucky that uh, we're making it work because I, I get to do two things that I really, I really love. And uh, I know that I won't be able to do them both full time. Like I'm going right now forever, but I'm going to have, there's going to be some sort of aspect in farming in everything that I do from now on. It's just something it's in your blood. And there's just something about being able to clear your head you know, uh, and remembering where you come from, getting your hands dirty and getting out and getting some work done. And, uh, uh, and you know, that's, it's just, it's part of who I am. And, and as much as I've tried, I've went away playing baseball, lived in all different parts of the country beforehand and kept coming back here and dabbling in it. And then I'm in music and I'm still in it. And, you know, it's just part of who I am. So I reckon I about might as well just start to embrace it, you know. Well, Ryan, before we get out of here, will you play one more for us? I'm gonna do. I haven't released this song yet. This is a song called "God Bless a Farmer" that uh, that Brandy and I wrote for my dad. Uh, I've only played it at a couple uh, a couple shows. Actually, my wife plays this in her set when she does shows. Uh, but it's one we wrote for my dad, and it goes out to all the farmers out there. Uh, hopefully, I can remember all the words to it. Uh, it's called God Bless a Farmer. Yeah, that's right. I got my wife right here. She'll yell the words at me. If I, that's what managers are for, right? That's what the boss is for. It's called God Bless a Farmer. It goes a little something like this. Woke up this morning sick as dog but there's work to be done and no one to call he's been expecting good weather today and it may rain tomorrow so we've got to roll hay no rest for the weary and there's less for the man who makes his living working the land. He gets no recognition from anyone. So God bless the farmer all that he's done Everything that needs to do He does it with pride Sense of dedication It's getting harder to find 
He's feeding his country and taking his stand with a faith that won't waver and two callous hands. No rest for the weary and less for the man who makes his living he gets no recognition from anyone. God bless the farmer for all that he's done. Go thank a farmer for all that he's done. Yes, sir. Go for you there. There you go. An exclusive. Right. If folks want to know more about uh, your career, if they want to follow your music, download it, where can they go to do that? Yeah, the best place for them. And yes, thank you. Thanks to everybody out there who uh, uh, who is out there farming and keeping this country one of the greatest countries to live in on the planet and uh uh keeping us all fed uh but yeah if you want to find my music uh you cut out there a little bit on the end i think that's what you're asking me if is where they can find my music uh you can find me the first place you can do the first thing you can do is go to rydavis.com uh and uh we've got like an email list that you can sign up for and we send like updates on like when we're going to be in certain areas and uh when we're releasing new music and all that and then of course i got the good old facebook rye davis music you can find me there and uh, I'm on Instagram as well. So Facebook and Instagram, uh, but the number one way to keep up would be the, the email list we try and send out. But follow me there. I got a Twitter too, but I'm never on Twitter. I'm thinking about deleting it. So just don't even worry about Twitter. I got a, yeah. A, and I also have a fan page called The Chasers, fans of Rydam Davis. So uh, you can join the Facebook group and yeah, the whole nine yards. Just put it in Google and you'll be able to find it, I think. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track, and I hope you'll come back anytime you have new music to share with us. Well, yeah, man. <laughs> thank you so much for having us, Brent. This has been this has been a lot of fun, uh, and uh, and when you're coming through Smith's Grove, I'll get you one of them Cinnabons or Schlotskys or whatever you want, man. Just uh, uh, is that what it is? Schlotskys, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just let us know, and, and we'll holler at you next time we want to get on the show or something. It'll, it'll be a good time. I, I really appreciate you having us. Well, we want to thank you for joining us this week, and we also want to say a special shout-out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway, in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise, and if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Wednesdays and Thursdays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Fridays and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. They're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, but when they're open, stop by and say hi. 
hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things on farmers' minds, hey, the tax man is coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get in those Section 179 purchases before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. <laughs>